0: Um. So okay.
1: Uh, now I forget what I was going to say. All
0: right.
1: So let us tell us when. Tell us when we're uh, off and running here. I think we're off and running now. Okay. Um. So 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 did did Fawcett go down with the plane or not? I.
2: I
0: don't they haven't know. found any evidence of him yet.
1: They haven't uh, found any remains whatsoever. No remains. It's still really new.
0: um, Just so the the news. uh, Just so people can put us place this in time. You'll have heard this by now. Today is today is what it was. Yesterday that the news came out that the uh, that his ID had been found. Right.
2: Yesterday the news of his ID had been found (laughs) Uh, last night. uh, They found found wreckage.
0: Yeah.
1: And Uh, today Thursday the Thursday Thursday the second. When we're recording this, they uh, actually got um, a a crew to uh, to the crash site. Um, have you seen no, any
0: pictures yet? I haven't seen. I've been traveling all have, day long. I have so. not.
1: I've seen Jeez. video of uh, one of the NTSB people. Um, but I've not seen photographs of the search um, or the crash site or anything like that. On TV
0: last night, I saw a video of these hiker guys who found the uh, ID, um, re- yeah. ret- what, and they... And the- Commentator said they were returning to the site, and the video showed them hiking above the tree line. I mean, they were seriously up into the rocky parts of, uh, of the well, Sierra.
1: Um, one story I read, and I'm by no means an expert on this, and, and certainly the, the general media will find a way to screw up aviation uh, related stories. But one news item I did read today um, said that it was a very rocky, rugged, treed. Um, a remote area uh-huh. where uh, the aircraft was found, about um, ten
2: thousand foot MSL uh, was. Yeah, it, it, that it, I it, saw. Uh,
1: some, something said. Something somebody said. Ninety seven hundred was the yeah. elevation of the crash site, which means that clearly the mountains in that area were. And I did look at, at a topographical map of that area, and there's there are a few peaks in that area that that. Are uh, easily over ten thousand feet. Yeah. yeah. Um, said it was the west side, the west face of, of one of those peaks. Oh really? Um, okay. Yes. Really? Yeah. About seven miles. These, yeah, about seven miles west of the uh, Mammoth Lakes, California community. Um, oh, okay. Community. Okay, so if you look and, and Google does a fairly good job if you look at google maps and and go in the in the topo mode and look you know west about you know six or seven or eight miles uh, there are some peaks there um uh, oh, yeah. that would be you know candidate locations um and it's a pretty rugged country, very remote uh I don't know if it's it, it does look treated if you go to the satellite um the google satellite or, or i didn't go to google maps um but if you if you go to the satellite version of google uh, um it'll it'll show some fairly um, uh, a lot a lot of trees in the area let's put it that way so nice. I, 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 I but it, it, it clearly i mean um, apparently there's not much at all left of uh, of the airplane um hitting hitting hard apparently and
0: um, um, I just sent you guys a link to uh, yeah, Just did a yeah. quick search and found a story On, uh, on our favorite aviation Publication, uh, Wired.com And uh, it was a joke um, and Well
1: actually they have Some interesting aviation stories from time yeah. to
0: time And uh, again, this is, maybe this is The same guy, maybe this is someone else But this is someone who's used Google Earth to visualize the location um, From, a, from l- looking at Horizontally, not, not top down huh, I just uh,
2: got a not found
1: Oh, really? I got it. I pulled it up.
0: And uh, make sure you got the whole link all the way through to the HTML. Yeah. And uh, and it's, uh, Uh, yeah. That's
2: what's wrong. I got an HTM and no L.
0: So it's uh, it's definitely looks like pretty rugged country, and it almost looks like, almost Box Canyon-ish. Uh, mm-hmm. As if he was like, thought he was flying in here and suddenly realized he was trapped and couldn't get out. But he knows how to fly. He could do the He classic. knows how to do, could do and, the, and the, it, the, it the looks like, there, thing to get out,
1: there's right? no scale here, but it, it, would, it would appear that... Um, you know, depending on when he knew it, what he knew, and when he knew it, there would be room to turn around, especially in a super decathlon.
0: Right, exactly. I and mean, this is the old story. You know, we we used to hang a fly on this subject of what you would, how would you get out of being stuck in a box canyon? You know, and if you couldn't make the, the one eighty degree turn, could you? Would it work to if you could do it to do a, a basically what is it, a half cumin
1: eight? Right, so you, yeah, that or you know, like half head or a half spin or something like that. You'd loop
0: inverted and then roll on the top and and
1: right and, that's, uh, split, that's a split. Well, yeah, that'd be a half a Cubanate, I guess, a uh, 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 reverse split S. Yeah, uh, something like so, that. So I don't know. Strange
0: uh, story, right? You know, it, the, the reports are that we're, they're not going to find his remains. It seems unlikely that it seems unlikely.
1: It's um, kind of gruesome,
0: but but remains don't survive in that country. And no. well, there's a lot of wild critters out there yeah. that. Uh,
2: that uh, find find good nutrition in hmm. uh, in things like that and, that's the uh, gruesome
0: part that I wasn't going to go into, but
1: okay yeah well we did, yeah we didn't need to do that but uh um. <laughs> well and
2: I, I'm not understanding quite the uh the the, the perspective of this picture okay uh, uh, the I first see one. little guy there, but is that where he supposedly hit the ground?
1: Uh, I'm no, not, I'm not. No, sure. I, I, haven't read I the think that's just a um, kind of a, a place marker, and then you zoom in. Um, let me close that.
0: But if you look at the inset on the second picture, it's definitely yeah. rugged terrain and steep, and there are trees, yeah. but it's not like there's tree cover. It's just yeah,
1: that's true. Um, okay, that's anyways, true.
0: That's a rugged uh, place to crash and survive, um,
1: and I can certainly see where. Um, they couldn't find it from the air the first time, um, that, uh, if you look at the inset photo in the second of the two images, yeah. um, it's all rock and, and, uh, you uh, know, there's some in the background, but <clears throat> hello, come in. You can't get close enough to that in an airplane to figure out what it is. Yeah. Been there, done that. You, well, you, and, there's no way. And,
2: micrometeorology in those mountains, uh, not too far away from there, in the White Range, uh, has been where some of the most bodacious hang gliding flights in history
1: have
2: have launched from. Uh, They fly up around Bishop. uh, Hell, they fly all the way into Nevada from down uh, around Bishop, California. And uh, the micrometeorology of that area is, is, is tremendously powerful.
0: Yeah, just north of there is uh, Minden, Nevada, which is one of the world-class soaring areas. Yeah. Um so uh, you know, it's and, it's rugged terrain. I have said this before, I'll say it again. Um people who have spent their lives in the east eastern half of the United States don't really understand how rugged that terrain is out there. It's just it's there's a lot of no place and and it gets pretty steep up and down and yeah.
2: And well, and you know, you're talking about a, a naturally aspirated uh I, I believe 180 horse engine yeah. that's already down around 55% power, maybe 60% power uh, at that elevation and, uh, and and higher, which you would have needed I think to get in and out of some of that. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, it'll be, we, 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 we sure hope that the NTSB folks can come up with something uh, plausible yeah. in terms of telling us whether all the airplane parts were working in the right harmony before or not
1: yeah they they say the engine was 300 feet away from the the wreck to the fuselage um that's
2: that would indicate a pretty pretty
1: substantial force yeah 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 so
0: i don't know i'm trying to come up with i'm trying to come up with a really dark humor joke about you know it's like like all good pilots he had a thousand dollars in hundred dollar bills with him when he went on his decathlon flight and uh I know, I know you and I always take $1,000 and $100 bills with us when we go flying.
2: Not to mention the gold coin, condoms, and nylons, and cigarettes, of course, so to exchange with the natives.
1: <laughs> Shoot, someone could have a pretty good weekend in Vegas with all that stuff.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Captain. <laughs> hey, uh, welcome folks to episode number 102 of Uncontrolled Airspace, the General Aviation Podcast. We're recording this episode on Thursday evening, October 2, 2008. And in case you hadn't noticed. Let me say hi to the uh, the gang here in the virtual hangar. One of those voices is Dave Higdon, who's talking to us from Wichita, Kansas. Hi, David. How you doing? Doing
2: good. Doing good. Lovely fine fall evening. Uh Got to hang around a lot of nice aviation stuff the last couple of weeks. Going to get to do some more in a few days. You wrote days, yet so.
0: another really beautiful yeah. piece on the in the UCAP blog. and uh, that's, uh, yeah, oh, Someone
1: thanks. ought to maybe pay you to do that every now and then.
0: Yeah, right.
1: Um, <laughs>
0: So don't, don't
2: don't get me thinking about that. I just
1: okay.
0: it, it would just right.
2: mess up my train of thought. So if
0: people haven't gone there yet, you should check out it uh, on the homepage, UCAP homepage, uh, on airspace dot com uh, for a couple of nice pieces that Dave's written there re- recently. They're relatively short but relatively long. They're they're just nice little uh, little vignettes about a, a day of flying, two two different days of flying. So it's
2: cool. That's a good way to put it. Vignettes. Yeah.
0: And also out there is Jeb Burnside. Jeb's talking to us from Sarasota, Florida. Hi, Jeb.
1: How you doing, Jack and, and Dave? Uh, everything here is pretty good. It's, uh, um, you know, not a cloud in the sky and nice stiff breeze and uh, just a, a nice time of year. Nice, nice time to be down in Florida.
0: Yeah, now I know you're not a baseball guy, but you've got some excitement down in your neighborhood. With uh, I'm
1: not a baseball guy. I understand. Is it is it Devil Rays? Uh, it um, used to be the devil yeah. rays yeah. and they changed Whatever. they
0: decided the devil wasn't a good association so then they'll just call themselves the rays the Tampa the Bay rays the Tampa okay. Bay rays <laughs> okay. and uh, oh, they geez. came out of nowhere they're uh, it's a you know it's a great Cinderella story um not unlike the one that my red Sox did uh, about uh-huh. 30 years ago see uh, you get the devil out of your life that's right. good yeah. good things come to you. Say hallelujah.
1: <laughs> hallelujah. Hallelujah. So
0: uh, just this afternoon, I was watching the first game of the playoffs, and they, uh, they won uh, pretty comfortably. They won
1: See, the this is how, how out of the, the baseball um, <laughs> frame I am. Who are they playing?
0: They're playing the White Sox right now.
1: The White Sox, they're from Chicago,
0: all right, all right, that's enough. Before you completely lose all your credibility.
1: (laughs) Uh, Yeah, well, I never had any on baseball, so.
0: And I'm Jack Hodgson, and I'm up here at UCAP World Headquarters in Dover, New Hampshire. Uh, (laughs) So, just got back from uh, a trip down to uh, Connecticut, uh, which was kind of nice. I drove down there for business and uh, Uh checking out the scenery and uh, visiting the, the quaint town of Southbury, Connecticut, which is... Where we had some meetings. Anyways, got back this afternoon, and uh, and here we are back in the virtual hangar. So, uh, to close out on the baseball, it's a very right. simple game. That's right. You throw that's the true. ball,
2: you hit the ball, you catch the ball. I'm just glad to be part of the team.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Good for you. See, this Dave, you're all right. You're all right. Jab's probably come,
1: completely lost. He's probably clueless what. That's when you all come about. to a fork in the road, take it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Although now I have to confess, uh, that's Bull Durham, right? Well, Je- yeah, that's Bull Durham,
2: Bull Durham. after Jeb's uh, Doctor Strange love reference. You know, it's like uh, uh, there's a good one from baseball there too.
1: Well, that was just a Yogi Berra reference.
2: Not
0: what? the uh, throw the ball, hit the ball, catch the. Oh, ball oh, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. from
0: the movie Bull Durham.
2: And Kevin yeah, yeah, Costner yeah. to Tim Robbins, and that yeah. the only thing he didn't have to teach that
0: boy was how to screw. Yeah, well, that's true. What? Uh, no, wait a minute. Wasn't Kevin Costner did that, that line? Wasn't Kevin Costner? Wasn't that line from the guy who was the coach? I think it was. Kevin Costner. No, no. Kevin Costner was the catcher. Uh, right. He the, the, was coaching right. the boy. I had things to he say. He was. But in the interviews. actual manager of the team is the one who made that little speech because he was trying to fire up the team. And mm-hmm. uh, our listeners will tell us which of us is right anyways. Well, yeah. Uh, well, and we'll record the baseball podcast a little bit later on. Let's do the aviation podcast right
1: now. I think that's a wonderful, wonderful. Batter
0: point. up. So,
1: so are, we fi- are we finished with Fawcett?
0: Uh, I don't know, are we? I think, I mean, there's not much to say at this well, stage of the game.
2: Uh, you know, I, I I kind of feel uh, that there might be some some closure for the family, I hope yeah. so, in, that in certainly knowing that a they thing. found a, a, a crash site. Uh, they'd already had him declared legally dead, and I don't think anybody questioned that except the folks who think that he went off to live in uh, Richard Branson. Did Elvis show up in the speedboat and whisk him He's, away to where he lives? Yeah.
1: He's actually James, living in James Dean. He's living in Sarah Palin's basement. Oh, okay. Ow!
0: Not going there. It didn't going sound like there. a boost call, did it? Okay. Not going there. Hey, Moving so listen, right uh, David. So David's turned us on to another bargain bird here. Uh, David's been doing great, great work. Uh, <laughs>
1: <laughs> Moving right along.
0: Introducing us to uh, inexpensive, affordable aircraft. And the latest on his list is, uh, let's see now. It's, I couldn't resist it. Uh, what's guess, the asking price for this thing, Do they
2: say? Well, it, that's the funny thing, is that, uh it's been on the market a little while. And what we're talking about, folks, here is a relatively low time, only 4,077 hours, and only 1,600 cycles, takeoffs and landings, a 1999 Boeing Business Jet. That's right.
1: Entered service
2: in August of 2000, and on the uh, price line that says, make offer. Yeah. Now, I'm sure unreasonable offers will be refused, but considering that a year ago, no, scratch that, six months ago, seven months ago, people were paying a premium to get a used BBJ Mm -hmm because the
0: waiting list was until 2012 or 2013 depending on the model you order. Now just for those who don't know the business uh, the Boeing business jet is as uh, a private version of the uh, 737 airliner. So it's right. uh, a serious is outf- private airplane
2: and, it's uh, outfitted with all the goodies and, and and on the go stuff that you want. Each one's custom finished. It takes about 14 to 16 months from when it leaves Renton, Washington for it to get through the completion, paint, and all the systems in, and then it's delivered. It gets extra fuel tanks. Uh, These things have almost a 6,000 nautical mile range, uh, quarters for extra crew for those long trips, Uh, very often a separate stateroom and bath for the the honcho. Uh, So not too many months ago, people were offering uh, more than new value, more than the price of new. To get a good used one, yeah, because yeah. the waiting list yeah. to get one from the factory was to 2012 or 2013, and then I see this one pop into my email from Florida Jet, the business aircraft sales and acquisition specialists. Good folks know their business, but when when you see a business jet of this caliber with the price, make offer.
0: Yeah. Let me just read a little bit about this description of the accommodations here. It says, the cabin has 17 passenger seats, 7 seats forward with 4-place rounded couch and a 6-place conference dining table area. Seats are berthable. I guess that, mean, well, that means it can turn into a bed, I guess?
2: It means they can turn into a bed.
0: Okay, the cabin has a 42-inch LCD monitor on the forward bulkhead and a 32-inch LCD monitor on the rear bulkhead. Forward and aft staterooms have beds that convert from queen to two twins.
1: Oh, I would hope so.
0: Each stateroom has a full shower and entertainment system uh, with 32 or 21-inch LCD monitors, DVDs, and VCRs. The water system consists of 152 total gallons of water with 32 gallons of hot water. The forward galley is connected to the aircraft water system, Uh, window panels, headliner, stone countertops, uh, entry and stateroom hallway, side panels. A, a divan, a, divan a, a cash. It's got meter.
2: wireless, high-speed internet, with 64 uh, high uh, broadband ready. Uh, yeah, that's it's got good because like entertainment system, a security system, of course.
1: Given the range of those things, you'd have to have a really, really, really long Cat 5 cable. <laughs> that's <laughs>
0: right. That's true. I'm not buying it though because it's missing one one key thing that I think every Boeing business jet needs to have, and that that, it, that is a hot tub. There's no hot tub listed on the. Uh, you know, well, you it know, is a 99. Please? It's got a hot shower. <laughs> it's got a shower. Uh, I have a question for you guys, not re- not related to it being a business, uh, BBJ, but just a 737. One of the pictures here is of the cockpit, and yeah. I've often wondered this. So, so we've got the cockpit, the two uh, pilot and co-pilot seats, and then there's a panel, uh, sort of. I don't know what they what they call it, but there's a panel in between the two seats. Uh, it's a center it's, console. Center it's console.
1: always struck me that it must be really hard to get in and out of these seats. It is. It is. It can be. You know the the seats. The thing. One thing though is the the seats are on rails and they go back a lot further than uh, the seats in the sky. I about house. that. Okay.
0: All right. Okay. Because you have to climb over the center panel and uh, not not hit any buttons while you're doing it. You, you,
1: you can't. Know? You can't walk on the center panel.
0: Well, see there you go. That's the problem. And uh, yeah.
1: But uh, yeah.
0: it's a cool cockpit. Oh, uh, it's all glass. All liquid
2: crystal yeah. displays. Uh, uh, it's not missing anything.
1: Yeah, I'm trying to figure out the registration. The registration says YG, and I'm, I'm looking around, poking around here to try to find that. I don't see it anywhere. You don't know? I don't know. I'm, I'm poking around the Internet trying to find where a YG registration, what country that's in, and I don't find it. But, uh, uh,
2: yeah, and let's see. I'm looking at the... Uh, Expanded view of the photograph. Now that looks like an N number on the airplane. When I blow it
1: up, really? Maybe yeah. it's maybe it's. No, that's that the YG. That might be a serial number. Yeah. Anyways, hey, I do think that's a. We'll, we'll uh, let, I, we'll
2: let
0: Jeb continue uh, who, to search the internet because he uh, he knows all the clever places to look for these kinds of things. We'll move on to another
1: subject here. <laughs> yeah, let's go on. But yeah, <laughs> an, you know, take it, a drink. Take it, a drink. It, yep. it it would be a nice um, nice toy.
0: Yeah. So here we go. We've got uh, uh, two, not one, count them, two channel crossings recently. This is like, it's the, apparently the English Channel is the place, the happening place to be in, in aviation these days. Uh, so,
2: the, one, one didn't quite make it, but he has a better excuse. No, wait a minute. Other.
0: Which one didn't make it? The pedal blimp. Oh, I thought I see. I just read the headline, and it says. Uh, but so let's t- let's talk about the other one first, because we already talked about the guy with the with the the body mounted wings the, and and jets under sort of in the underarm. I don't know. It's a strange what image happened? just came to mind here.
2: Mounted under wing. I, yeah. I was wrong. The, the early thing I saw him do he had the engines mounted on boots, uh, but I guess as he evolved this and, and improved it. Yeah. Uh, mounted on the. A lot cooler on your shoes.
0: Yeah, so he uh, he's, he he did it. He's uh, successfully crossed the channel uh, in that little jetpack thing, and that's that's kind of cool, I guess. Uh, who was it? Was it was it you did, you you were willing to do this, Dave, or not?
2: Oh, uh, well, I'm trying to get the because I can't remember the gentleman's name, but uh, I want to say Rousseau. He's a French, I mean, he's a uh, Swiss. He's designed this carbon fiber wing. It's about two. In the span. That's just short of seven feet. Uh, it it's it folds. He's got it so it fits on his back, right behind a, a, a parachute. It's got four micro turbo jet engines mounted underneath in the center part he comes out of an airplane, unfolds the wing, fires up the turbines, and flies like uh, a bad man and he's done this a uh, number of occasions, tested it and, and, and uh, recently made it across the English Channel, he got out of the Cessna over France, unfolded the wing fired up the turbos 23 miles across the English Channel shut down his engines, deployed his parachute and landed in front of a big crowd did it a lot faster than Santos Dumont did back uh about 90 years ago.
0: Yeah. So then in the other story, uh, we have a, I don't know if it's a hot air balloon or a helium balloon, but it's a lighter-than-aircraft that's got, uh, it's pedal-powered, human-powered, driving two great big propellers. There's a picture on this website um, over the water. Um, And uh, so you're saying that this guy has not done it yet or tried and did not complete it? or?
2: As of the 29th, uh, uh, the last update on it, Stéphane, Stéphane Rousson, Uh he's a French pilot. Uh, he has constructed a uh, blimp with a little chair suspended beneath it and a platform for a chain drive, driving the two big uh, props that uh, Jack mentioned and uh he's flown it around France done some tests in it and he was trying to tackle the english channel like pretty much every aviation milestone must at some point it seems you know it was the, it was the obstacle for man powered flight back uh almost 30 years ago when uh Brian Allen flew the uh Gossamer Albatross from England to Cap Grez Nice, France, about 22 miles, uh, all by pedal power. We got the jetpack guy, did it. Uh, got the man powered blimp guy trying to. And this goes back to balloon attempts and Santos Dumont and his uh, demoiselle.
0: Mm hmm. Yeah. That would be kind of cool. I'd fly that one.
1: Yeah. Yeah, yeah I'd, I
0: would too. try that. That's that's kind of neat to go go puttering yeah. around the area, you know, down low, just pedaling along with your blimp, and uh, hopefully no big winds, you know. Kind of. I was going to say, up. you know, that would be kind uh, of a drag, but uh, um, uh, but that looks like that could be a lot of fun. I I uh, as long it, you're a, going
2: downwind, you love the wind.
0: Yeah, there's a YouTube video here, but I'm not going to play it because you guys won't be able to hear it, and Lord knows what it might do to the recording we're doing here. So. Yeah, uh, but I'll check that but out. The, later but
2: on. but 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 our listeners could go look at it for their own and, yeah. and uh go, Wow, crazy.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So uh let's see now. I was gonna ask you so you know, I mean the English Channel, although it's water, it's not really all that far from point A to point B. And and you guys have talked in the past about how you've gone done like the Cayman caravan and flying out to the Bahamas and things like that. Have have you ever entertained the idea of doing some insanely long flight, you know, like the around the world or anything like that? Oh absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely, yeah. I um I think it would be neat to fly around the world except for the cross ocean parts, which would yeah. just be
1: a buddy of mine and I a couple of years ago, we were talking about trying to do uh um Greenland. Uh huh. Yeah,
2: there um, you go. I, I want to do Europe
1: that yeah, way. I've yeah. been across yeah. the I, I don't know if American I want to go all the way to Europe. What? Uh, yeah, I don't know if I want to go all the way to Europe, um, just because if I want to go to Europe, I think I can get on a triple seven, and, mm-hmm. and 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 but uh, uh, I wouldn't mind flying around Europe. Um, but no, we were we were for some reason we cooked up this thing about um, um, going up into Canada, up near the Hudson Bay, and then cutting east, and and I'm I, going to Reykjavik. I, I don't know where we were going. Um, but we we would have had obviously some overwater, maybe two hours or so of overwater, and and clearly needed, uh, even if we we're going to do it in the summertime, clearly need like you know an immersion suit and and a raft and, and a bunch of other bells and whistles. And well, I had charts suit, for it. HF yeah, oh, I had oh. charts for it, and and um, you know we were we're going to be three three bonanzas, uh, going to go do this, and uh, we just I don't know what happened. Uh, Greenland, I think some, Greenland's some, actually
2: pretty easy.
1: Yeah, Greenland was green. Yeah, yeah. Ice is, is a bit of a hike. Iceland, we were going go really to go to the eastern, yourself. somewhere on the eastern edge of uh, of Greenland. Um, it was going to be a substantial hike. It was going to be like a, you know two or three days just to get there. Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, uh, and then you know have a beer in turn and turn around come back.
0: Yeah. Years ago, um, when I was back out in California, my roommate was also a pilot and uh, we had, we fantasized about the idea of flying up the west coast to Alaska, um, which we thought would be pretty dramatic that's, and cool. That's another one on my list.
2: My buddy Kenny yep. uh, lives back east. Uh, he and his airplane partner took a, a, a bonanza up through uh, the Yukon and uh, Northwest Territory uh, through the the uh, mountain pass and into Alaska, and uh, turned around and came back. Uh, you know, about a week later, mm-hmm. and they were going about three weeks.
1: Yeah, yeah.
2: As you're talking about a long pull just to get to the Yukon.
1: It right? is. It's it's a that's it's deceptively far.
2: Yeah, it's yeah. deceptively far. Oh yeah. Yeah, and it's it's, it's six thousand six hundred miles from where you are, Jeb, to yeah. to, to Anchorage.
1: Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah.
2: You know, it's farther than it's farther than Honolulu.
0: But one of these days, the longest I've ever flown is from California to Oshkosh. Did that a couple of times, and uh, and that's a pretty good adventure all by itself. But uh, but well, yeah, yeah the idea of fly. Who was that guy from uh, New Zealand a, a bunch of years back who flew his RV? Um, John Johansson. Yeah, what a cool guy! I just heard him talk a couple of times at Oshkosh, and. Uh, yeah, and he like he ran out of ways to fly around the world, right? He ran he he like flew he,
1: he flew <laughs> yeah, east of, west, yeah. west to east, to west. He went south west to east, west, the east to west. west. Yeah, really, did, really do. It.
0: I think he did the it, polar route too, right? Yeah, he, he
2: didn't. Yeah, I think he did something
0: approximating over the top. Yeah, and. and uh. uh and he wrote uh, a great book. A, I don't know if you've read his book, but he wrote a book, sort of a semi-autobiography, but mostly a, a telling of his of his first round-the-world trip. And he what it was a near
2: New Zealand guy.
0: Yeah. and uh, I
2: remember when he showed up.
0: I remember when he taxied into Oshkosh
2: on that first trip around the world. And it was kind of like late in the evening. The show hadn't started yet. He sure. taxied in, and you could pretty much tell that was his RV4 by the decals.
0: Yeah, and and, he and the put registration his, number, and uh, it was on display out. there. And uh, it was pretty, it was pretty sobering, cool but sobering to kind of look into the cockpit and just kind of try to imagine sitting in this thing, you know, all the way around the world. You know, I mean, obviously oh, not gee, not and nonstop, and yeah. but still, these ocean crossings are the part that just freak me out. But yeah, you know. uh, uh, a, he had uh, it
2: tankered up
0: too.
1: Yeah, I'll, yeah, yeah. I, Where's you know, the very first team? year
0: that I wrote the Around the Field column, you know, and at the time I bought this hook, line, and sinker. And <laughs> thinking about it over the years, I'm not so sure anymore. But here's the story: um, as you know, my my gig is to wander around the North Forty and just talk with people and uh, and hear their stories and write them for the newspaper. And I came across two Australian guys who claimed that on the spur of the moment they decided to jump into one of one of them owned a bonanza. They jumped into his bonanza and flew to the United States from Australia. Now it wasn't just totally spur of the moment because they had to put in some tanks and things like this, but it, it wasn't like, you know, some sort of, you know get sponsors and fundraising and the whole thing. It was like, you know and and, and these were like the stereotypical Aussie, you know, kind of, you know, um, yeah, good old boys or whatever the whatever the I, I didn't
2: they. have anything else going on at the time, and flying around the yeah. world seemed like a fun thing to do.
0: Yeah, and listening them tell them tell the story. I mean, you know, they were very, it was very plausible. These were kind of like you know, you know, it's like okay, you know, it's been been eight hours since we drank a beer. Let's fly to America, you know.
1: And,
0: uh, <laughs> well, Annie,
2: Annie, my uh, my my chief co pilot, flight dispatch, and managing director. She and I worked out three. One to do's to Europe and back, mm-hmm. and I'm really not interested in using a little airplane to fly all over Europe. I've been around Europe. Mm-hmm. It ain't all that GA friendly. It's horribly expensive, but when yeah. I get there, I can get a Eurail pass, but yeah. I'll gone and come back in the most unique way imaginable short of a sailboat. Uh, second one is to Alaska and back. Mm-hmm. Uh, the third was flying south and following the perimeter of South America,
0: uh huh, mm hmm. Oh yeah, down that would be cool. and back up. I would love to see the, uh, the the southern tip of South America someday. That would, that would and especially from the air, that would be kind of cool. And, uh, cool.
2: Well, the North Atlantic, in my in my thinking, is not the hardest one. Uh, it was my good fortune to get to ride on a uh, part ninety one flight of a four-engine turboprop airliner, the Havilland-7, to the Paris Air Show in back one year. And because of the uh, uh, range restriction to the airplane, particularly loaded the way we were. I was going to say. Uh, oh, yeah, we only had 13 people on the airplane, and we were taking on full fuel. Mm. But, you know, this is a 195-knot airplane.
1: Hundred
2: and ninety five <laughs> knot airplane, it's got about uh eight hundred miles plus IFR plus a, a holy share over water reserve. Mm-hmm. Uh so we we did not do any legs that were more than about four hours. Mm-hmm. Uh and that's that's what really honed in on it when I owned an airplane of my own and we did things like the Cayman Caravan in Mexico was uh, I flew I fly longer legs than that. Overland yeah. here in the United States, and I have to fly to get to Europe. Yeah, I just need a whole lot more, just in case of equipment and preparation right, that I right, do right. for those long legs here.
0: I mean, you guys uh. are pretty well connected. How hard it is? How hard is it to get one of these uh, ferry flight, uh, you know, assignments? You hear about it all the time that people are looking to have their airplane taken <laughs> to Europe, and they and they get. People like you to fly them, and uh, or or well, people not as smart as you. Most of those airplanes know. go over in the hands of people that do ferry ferry yeah. work pretty regularly. Yeah, yeah.
2: A uh, good friend of ours—you've uh, probably read his stuff in Plane and Pilot magazine. Bill Cox—that's uh, what he does pretty much for a living. Uh, and that's a lifestyle choice, and that's something that you really, you really got to be comfortable at on your own. And it would really help if you got to learn at the hands of somebody that had been doing it for a while. Mm-hmm. Because you wind up dealing, when you go international ferry. you wind up dealing with a lot of unusual uh, customs and regulations. And I'm talking about societal customs as well as customs and immigration. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you got to work to all of those. Uh, otherwise, you could find yourself sitting for days waiting for somebody to sign a piece of paper. Uh... And some of them can be pretty hairy. I've got a good friend here, Hans Malders, who was uh, communicating to me recently about a flight that he did to ferry a DC-3 to the to to uh, Southeast Asia.
0: Oh yeah, back years ago. Oh yeah, tankered up big time. They did it in four stops. Which way did they go? They go from the west coast across the Pacific. Yeah. Yeah. West Coast, hmm. across the Pacific. And what's the Great uh, Circle? It must take them up, like, around towards Alaska, right? Or is it? High, tr- well,
2: not tr- that far south. Yeah. Not not where they were going. Okay. Uh, the the Great Circle would uh, take you mostly over water.
0: Yeah, okay.
1: And well, pretty
2: but, much two of the four stops were at places that were dots in the water. Hawaii was the first one. Right, okay. And... Uh, Jeez, I'm trying to remember what the Midway next Island. Was. That's
0: what Mid—that's where Midway Island got its name, right? Was, uh, yeah.
2: He he, he'd taken seaplanes through Midway, but on the trip with the DC three, they went
0: through Honolulu. Right. Midway Island uh, was that's right. Midway Island was the was the stopping point for those flying boats of way back when. And uh, yeah. And, and in theory, it was midway across the uh, Pacific, I guess, or midway between two significant points, or something like that. And,
2: uh, right. And it's not that far from Honol- It's not that far from Hawaii. About 250 miles north northwest, I believe it is.
0: Only 250 miles, really?
2: Yeah, it's I not somehow that far. pictured
0: it being further away than that, but uh,
2: I think so. I'll probably be proven wrong, but I know it was close enough to really worry about uh, Midway falling into the hands of Japan during World War II, yeah. because then it became a base right. for regular attacks to uh, Hawaii. Yeah, well, clearly,
0: yeah. So, uh, um. Yeah, I'm not wild about the overwater part, but I it, it's always struck me as cool to uh fly that it might be cool to fly across Europe and Asia. Um you know, like down yeah down diagonally across Europe over I don't know where. The problem is that there's all the political stuff. It's the geography that fascinates me. But then you you know, you, we've got wars going on in Afghanistan and and Iraq and almost Iran and but you know, and then apparently as you get down into like uh the Asia And that area, there are all sorts of visa issues. I remember there was a story a while back about a guy who was trying to fly across there and got jammed up and got stuck someplace because he couldn't get the whatever he needed, the paperwork to get in or out or something or other. And uh, so, but but just, I would love to see the geography from the air. That would be pretty fascinating. Yeah. And uh, so let's see. Did you guys get the link I just sent you? Jeb has just sent me a link, which I'm opening now. And
2: uh, that pretty much closes out the. The uh, Steve Fawcett
1: and, and Elvis, pretty much does together. Yeah, yeah.
2: We oh. just got. We we
1: just got. We just the, found just news got a. Yeah. Just just got story from AP through a radio station in uh, in Washington that uh, they have found remains in the wreckage of Steve Fawcett's Belanca. So um, uh, we quote: "We found rem- human remains, but there's very little." Given the length of time the wreckage has been out there, it's not surprising there's not very much," said uh, NTSB acting chairman Mark uh, Rosenker. Um, the uh, the other little tid the other little tidbit here: the remains were found among a field of debris that stretched 400 feet long and 150 feet wide in a deep section steep section of the Sierra Nevada.
0: Yeah. Yeah, the quote here is it was a hard impact crash and he would have died instantly. Um is an emergency management coordinator for the county out there. Well, um again, our thoughts out to his family and uh ah uh, well, but that it, yeah. but it is it is
1: It's know. it's closure for for them it's closure for us. It's yeah. it's yeah. closure for uh, all of those um uh people who KP and everybody else who went out there and and searched for him. Um than uh, about a year ago now. Yeah. Uh,
0: well, boy, if we're going to be covering breaking news on on the UCAP podcast, I tell you what. I'm going to have to really come through on my, my commitment to get these things up pretty much more quickly. huh? Oh, what well. commitment was that? Yet another motivation here. I'll, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll share this much with our listeners, and that is that I've made a commitment to my partners here um, that uh, if I can't get these episodes posted a little bit more timely fashion, there are penalties involved, and I'll leave it at that. Um, but not
1: retroactive penalties. No, not retroactive yeah, they, penalties. They were
2: retroactive penalties. Jeb and I would never have to buy another beer in the present. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> never, ever, ever. Uh, 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 who posted uh, this? Was this David who posted, uh, what's the next on the list here? Uh, Be forewarned, no, sure no VFR into IFR, the ASF case study course. Um, I did. I did post that. And I, I don't have my, my – is, is this behind a protected AOPA member-only uh, page, and I don't have my login no. information handy. Can you tell me what this is all about?
2: Uh, well, I could, but I'd have to kill you. Uh, no, it's a uh, a lengthy uh, case study that the Air Safety Foundation conducted <gasps> using records from uh, aviation accidents going back uh, quite a long time time and i'm up against the same thing i don't know if uh
0: I know Hello? what
2: i'm typing in yeah we're here to this or not
0: he's just trying to find the the, the information because for some strange reason he doesn't want to make it up as he goes along i don't know why he i can't
1: why is today different well, from all the others yeah
2: what is it, David? Oh man, suck my nose! <laughs> <laughs> All right, we're going to come back to that one. We'll come back well, to that one. Well, the bottom line is this: the study shows the uh, survey says. the the terrible toll paid yeah. by pilots who continue to fly as VFR pilots <clears throat> without the training, the qualifications, sometimes even without just filing. Uh, they try to. Uh, bluff their way through deteriorating conditions without turning around. Sometimes they wait too long, and when they turn around, it's no better behind them. Uh, and the results are way too often uh,
0: uh, the yeah. fatal mistake. Yeah. yeah, I mean that's what I've said. I said that before. This is one of my three rules as a, as a VFR only pilot. You know, as a as a relatively low time pilot. Um, and one of them is don't fly into the clouds. You know, don't don't get myself in an IFR situation. And uh, yeah, I, I
1: mean, big, big, there, there were years. Go ahead. Go Dave. ahead,
0: Jeb. Go ahead, Dave. Go ahead. No, D- Jeb, you better go because Jeb's because Dave's connection is freaking out here. and Let's let it calm down while okay. you talk.
1: Uh, all, all I was going to say they, for years after I got my private ticket. Um, and whether it was instructors, my father, somebody else had kind of drummed it into me. I was pretty scared of weather, and I did not uh, um, take it lightly. Um, there were clouds around, There, especially if there were clouds at altitude or over mountains that I was going over near or anything like that. I set up straight, and I paid a lot of attention to all that. Mm-hmm. Um, once I got the instrument rating, uh, I still pay attention. Yeah. Um, I want to know what's behind that cloud. I want to know what's on the other side of that cloud, quite literally, before I stick my nose into it. And, um, you know, obviously, if you're you know ten thousand feet over uh, um, North Florida, there's not a whole lot to run into. Um, but
2: um, ten thousand feet over the Sierra Nevadas, that could well be.
1: Well, you you're, you're six or seven thousand feet over no, Western North Carolina, you better have your stuff wired pretty tight. Um, you better been know what there you're done doing. That. Yeah, been, been there. there, done that, have the T-shirt. Um, so, yeah, I mean, and, and you know, one other thing here, too, is AOPA Air Safety Foundation um, is probably about as good as it gets for an organization um, um, taking – a look at the uh, the kinds of accidents and the kinds of airplanes that we fly, and the, and the places we fly them. Uh, nobody does it better than AOPA Air Safety Foundation. So, strong, strongly urge uh, um, uh, listeners to uh, click a few links here and uh, and go check this out, especially as we get into you know uh, some some what would. You know, the winter time is generally worse weather than the summertime. Um, the days are shorter, the nights are longer, um, and weather's uh, more changeable. It's right.
0: Yeah, I mean, so, uh, you know, I well, still. Am very very tentative about flying in weather. because see, I did most of my flying. I learned how to fly, and I flew for years almost exclusively in the California environment. Mm-hmm. And and out there for a VFR pilot, the situation is very binary. It's there's not a lot of gray area, if you will. All right, it's either <laughs> it's either severe clear, or if there's any clouds at all, there's usually too many clouds to go flying. Um, right. And right. Uh, and so the weather decision was a, an easy one. I mean, it was just sure, it was sure. just brain dead simple. All right. Um, and uh, it was when I first made my first flights to Oshkosh that I first discovered, you know, the reality of weather and, and having to, you know, fly through marginal weather or having to consider thunderstorms or fronts or, or uh, whatnot. It's, it's
2: way underappreciated. But I think going out for a nice afternoon spin in IMC is, is, is as good a thing to do as going out for a nice afternoon spin in VMC. Uh, it's just you've got to be instrument rated. and The whole point of it is to go out and keep yourself sharp. It doesn't have to be a I'm only going someplace reading uh, Because if that's the case Far too many people fall way behind on the currency and competency curve So one of the reasons why I posted this link about VFR into IMC uh, Is because uh, the Earth Safety Foundation has a new What they call a mini course That talks about uh, what happens when you do it How to handle when you encounter it Uh, strategies for staying away from it, recognizing when you really should be making a new decision. Uh, I guess you have to be a member to get at it from what I just went through. Uh, But I know a lot of you folks out there are AOPA members. And if you're not, you should be you're not you should be uh, the course takes between 20 and 30 minutes it's interactive it's on the website it's free if you remember it's one of the reasons why a lot of us belong is because there's so much free stuff like this so uh, if you're doing any kind of flying where it, it could be you know nice when you leave and not so nice when you get there this could be uh, something that help uh, make your day come out more
1: pleasantly
0: yeah, cool. I'm going after we're done here, I'm gonna dig up my uh, my membership information and go in there.
1: there although although the concept of going out for a quote spin unquote um, is perhaps not uh, the phraseology we want to, is, in IFR anyway. Well, it's I will give, give
2: you an example. You folks have heard me talk about I, going to Ponca City. And, no, uh, really? Ponca have you been City. to Ponca City? Ponca City, Oklahoma, for the monthly fly-in oh, breakfast. I'm rain shocked. Or shine. Really, it's i never rain- heard that that's before. It's a rain or shine. That's a rain or shine, <laughs> and there is an ILS at Ponca City. So on more than one occasion, we drug Air Comanche out of her hangar at Augusta. it's U- going Uni through with it, and said, "Yay, yeah, you There's know, no it looks like it. a good day to have breakfast." You so we are to go to breakfast. Now, to me, that's kind of like dragging it out on a sunny day for a spin, except. You had to be instrument rated to get there, made it all worthwhile. Nobody in line when we got there for paying us.
0: that's great that's great i we yeah, Ponca City we got to go to Ponca City. We absolutely have to, to, to do to it City. i'm sorry i had my I had my microphone muted here you know one of my wish one of my dreams in life would be to live has been always to live next to an airport, and I've never accomplished that yet but uh I don't know if this is the next best thing, but I live next to a train station here and uh and so, the, every now and then the train goes by, and I think I've mentioned this before. For some, I, I did actually a little research on the internet, and apparently it's a law that trains, these trains are required to blow their horn really loud every time they go down these crossings. And uh, even if it's three o'clock in the morning, by the way.
1: Especially so. if it's 3 o'clock yeah, in the
0: morning. Especially if it's 3 o'clock in the <laughs> that's morning. That's right. So, anyways. Hey, we were talking earlier about baseball, and uh, and and that we should were? have segued us into this. Uh, I don't know. Maybe we, we were, were talking about baseball? Yeah. Um, I don't remember that. And uh, that should have segued us into this, which is that uh, a, a great aviation landmark baseball park is about to be torn down, and that is Shea Stadium, the home of the New York Mets in uh, New York City, uh, is... Uh, is they they just played their last game there? Um, they sadly did not make the playoffs, uh, and uh, so they're done. And uh, they've been building a new Shea Stadium. But the thing that's notable at Shea Stadium, the old Shea Stadium, is that it has been a very significant aviation landmark uh, for for uh, pilots flying a particular approach into uh, LaGuardia, and. Uh, Expressway here. Visual. The Expressway Visual story here in the New York Times dot com, uh, just talking about the fact that uh, this has been around for a while, and uh, um, I actually have a, my my personal experience with this is that is that one of the flights a while back I mentioned that I'd flown through LaGuardia, and one of the flights must have done this approach. Because as I coincidentally was sitting on the proper side of the aircraft for this, which is the left side, and, and you do in fact get an awesome view of Shea Stadium right out the right out the window as you're on uh, you know turning I guess base to final and short final for for this particular runway, so uh, it's interesting.
2: Uh, sorry to see it go, and you know, yeah. not strangely enough, I don't think it's on any uh, approach uh, landmark, but. Yankee Stadium's going away, too. So.
0: Yeah, Yankee Stadium's done as well. And uh, um, it's kind of ironic that uh, both these parks, which are relatively near each other, are getting uh, changing over the same season, the same off-season. But uh, they are.
2: Yeah, if they could just sell night in rights, they could bring back the Coliseum in Rome. <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> um, so, uh, the, you know, one thing about this story that caught my attention, let's see if I can find this line here, it says... Uh, LaGuardia is one of the few airports in the country where pilots use land markers instead of instruments to guide their landings, which struck me. That kind of jumped out to me as a as a naive non-pilot kind of statement.
2: It may be a little bit of an overgeneralization. Yeah, it's say.
1: it's a little bit over overstay, but I mean, um, you you could uh, I don't know if there's a way to just search for charted visual approach procedures. Uh, probably is. But I mean, National Airport in um, in DC has them. Um, obviously, LaGuardia. I think um, Midway. Uh, yeah, Midway does has has one. Uh, I think Megs used to. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure. the I one that comes to
0: mind to me as being perhaps one of the more notable ones was the approach into the old Hong Kong airport. yes yep. uh, yeah the one where you would fly like Checkable straight stretch. out a mountain all right and uh-huh. then at the last minute you would turn 90 degrees to line up on final and uh, oh, it sounded
2: like the sound like the arrival that uh, 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 Las Vegas approach gave me to get into north a few years ago. Uh-huh. Really what was that like? Uh, uh, well, since it was after dark, uh, knowing that that black spot that I was flying toward over this lake was a mountain, uh, was like, I know they're going to turn me before this thing, uh, guys, you're going to turn me before this thing, right? Uh, I'm going to key the mic now and, oh, seven, three, Papa, turn left now to this heading. Oh, thank God.
1: Yeah. You know, you know what happens if, if a controller screws up? He's gonna feel he's gonna feel Promotion. real bad. No, he's
0: not. gonna you feel will,
1: real bad won't for a while.
0: The yeah, right, exactly. Yeah. So speaking of which, let's talk about a couple of uh, uh well we've already talked about faucet, that's a sad thing, but some other sort of troubling things here. Here's a story, uh, I guess it's uh, what was it? Who which one of you guys posted a GAO report about runway incursions are still uh high? Um What's uh, the story that, all about uh, here? Let's see. What was it
1: can... uh, uh, runway incursions in or <laughs>
2: runway.
0: <laughs> oh, collisions. I'm that? sorry. I read it wrong. Yeah. GAO says risk of runway collisions still high despite steps to address the problem. Um, it says the rate of close calls on airport runways is up over the last year and the risk of a collision is high, a government investigator said Thursday. I won't read the whole thing here. So, what's the story here?
1: Well, it's it's no one's found a solution to uh, uh, no one's found a way to prevent human error. Um, yeah, is, and
0: and is, you know, I mean, they're all bad, but is it really that much of a problem, or is this just sort of a knee knee jerk reaction to you know people who want well, them to be this, zero? keep
2: problem. keep in mind, Jack, that the highest death toll in history—that's right—for an airplane accident. Was because of two airplanes being on the runway at the wrong time. But of course,
0: yeah. t- I assume you're referring to Tenerife. Tenerife, Tenerife. yes, yeah. that's right. Yeah. Um, uh, so it's, yeah,
2: the, you know, it doesn't take little B airplane on the here, here, runway at the wrong. Here's time. the real.
1: Here's the real deal, though, on runway incursions and, and runway collisions, is. We've done so much. We've come so far in say the last twenty, thirty, forty years yeah. on on automation, on training, on systems reliability of the aircraft, on on uh, charting and in hyper accurate navigation systems. Um, we've gotten it down to where we've we slayed a lot of these old big dragons, and and now when it comes to improving aviation safety. Uh, After having picked all the low-hanging fruit, um, we're we're dealing with some of the more vexing problems that we've had, some problems that maybe we didn't even have, say, 40 years ago, uh, because we didn't have the traffic uh, then that we have now. We didn't have so many airplanes trying to get in so few uh, square feet of runway. Um, So runway incursions, runway collisions, however you want to phrase them, uh, are really kind of a, a, a really big bugaboo if you will, well, when, especially I, I when it saw, comes to scheduled aviation.
2: I saw a, 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 another report uh, recently talking about uh, GA accidents. Specifically, it seemed like business aircraft accidents and runway, what they labeled runway excursions uh-huh, uh-huh. were a bigger problem in terms of accidents and fidelities and runway
1: incursions. What would that
2: be? And excursions when you run off the runway.
1: Yeah, well, we had one last weekend, that Lear Lear 60 that that ran off the end of the runway in Columbia, uh, South Carolina.
2: I think that was a catalyst to these numbers coming out. Yeah, Uh, yeah, it blew
1: a tire
0: on the takeoff roll.
1: Yeah, this is the one that injured the two... uh, one, one was a rock star, the other one was like a DJ or oh, something. Oh, that and one,
0: yeah, okay. Killed, the, and,
1: killed and, the two crew and then killed also uh, uh, assistance to the, uh, the two uh, celebrities that managed to get off the airplane. That was a fairly
2: um, low-time Lear 60.
1: Yeah, well, all Lear 60s are fairly low-time. But, um, you know, blew a tire on takeoff, which is admittedly the highest stress part of, uh, of a tire's life, really. You know, everybody thinks it's the landing. It's not. It's the takeoff. Uh, blew a tire, couldn't stop because, hey, you know, they don't have a tire. And um, uh, creating, you know, sh- shower sparks and all this kind of thing. Ran off the end of the runway, ran across the street or, and, and up uh, up the embankment and and uh, caught fire because, of course, it was loaded with fuel on a flight from the East Coast to the West Coast. And um, uh, very, very sad. Um,
2: you well know, these, these these things can happen uh, yeah. excursions and incursions
1: well so many
2: airports that aren't so busy
1: yeah and so many um crashes involving business jets recently recent years anyway um have involved biz jets you know on a takeoff generally on a takeoff actually um Running off a runway, I think of the the one out in, um, I think it was Colorado Springs or, or something like that, where I was a Challenger and it was snowing yeah. and it it didn't get very far and ended up you know literally off the end of the runway, uh, maybe off the side of the runway. I'm not sure which. Um, there was killed one in uh, Cedarboro a couple of years yeah, ago, not yeah, even two yeah, years yeah. ago. Yeah, yeah. Um, so. A lot of people talk about landing as being. The most dangerous part of a flight. It, it certainly, statistically, has its challenges. Uh, but takeoffs are, are uh, equally challenging and um, can be much more dangerous. You've got an airplane by almost by definition loaded with fuel. Um, because of its load, uh, it is accelerating uh, to take off. Um, a, it has to direction. be at a high, it has to be at a higher speed to take off because of its weight and exactly. instead of decelerating on, as on a landing it's accelerating it's there's much more energy involved there's much more uh, um, fuel co- combustibles whatever um but um, there's a lot more um, um, i don't know opportunity for error in, in one in one sense you don't know if the airplane is going to fly. Mm-hmm. Um, and we saw this in in Madrid a, a couple of three weeks ago with an MD eighty um, that crashed on takeoff, killing everybody aboard. Um, and and uh, a lot of people said, "Oh, it's just a takeoff. Don't worry about it." No, it's not just a takeoff. It's it's a it's a specific maneuver, and uh, uh, it's it's claimed a lot of aircraft over the years.
2: Well, and when you think about it, we tend to achieve a higher speed on the ground before we lift off uh-huh. than the speed at which we touch down.
1: Exactly right. Yeah,
2: yeah. You know, so uh, if something does go wrong in that transition, uh, we're already going the fastest we're ever going to go that close to the ground.
0: Yeah. Um, also on the aviation safety front um, is so about, well, soon early in the week. We just, um, we, we, we just lost Dave. Did we really? I'll yeah. explain why he was getting so flaky there for a minute. Let's see if we can get him back here. Where am I doing here? Back again. Yeah, there you are. Okay. There you are. Uh, I forget where we left off here, but uh, let's see now. So, well, let me move on to a slightly different subject, uh, another uh, aviation safety related thing, um, which is that uh, about a week ago, just after the previous episode, I posted to our list uh, a story um, about a, uh, a yet another uh, medical helicopter crash and and my sub my subhead to this was um is this happening more and more often Um, And then a couple days later, we see a news story from uh, a report from NTSB saying that they, in fact, are taking notice of the fact that there are many of these kinds of crashes. In fact, the headline says uh, that the the board thinks that lives are lost, quote-unquote, needlessly in medical helicopter crashes. Let me just read a couple of sentences from this story. This is from uh, CNN.com. It says nationally, and this was triggered, uh, this story is triggered by one particular recent crash. Nationally, this was the eighth fatal medical helicopter crash in the past 12 months. And then a quote uh, from Robert Sumwalt of the NTSB, he said, the safety board is very concerned with the increasing number of these EMS helicopter accidents. We have had too many of them. The number is increasing. We need to do something about it. We need to do something about it right now. What you know? I mean, so obviously it has been happening a lot. Is, is yeah. there something going on here, or is this just just the bad the luck of the roll, or the bad luck of the roll that they're well, they clumped together like is,
1: this? Is there something going on? Um, no, I mean, there's nothing systemic. There's nothing, uh, uh, you know, uh, nothing
2: that we can point, point to right thing. now.
1: But it, there's whenever there's uh, aircraft and there's bad weather and and darkness and there's pressure. Um, to get to p- from point A to point B, you're going to have accidents. And um, yeah, I wouldn't want to uh, characterize with a broad brush uh, the the EMS industry, but there are a few uh, um, segments, if you will, in that industry um, that uh, come from a background in the military, come from... Uh, um, you know higher risk operations than uh than some of us civilians are accustomed, and they're more attuned more more uh, familiar with flying high risk flights like uh like e m s my uh, question
0: would be that as time has gone on and and you know the the availability of this kind of service is is more more common and people are aware of it are they Taking more and more risks? Are they are they less willing I don't think to say no? I,
2: I, I don't think they're taking more risk as much as they're being called on more often. Uh-huh. Yeah,
0: because it's becoming
2: a more available more routine tool. There's been some pretty good growth in medical airlift services uh, as a private industry and some of them contract with governments and some of them contract with private hospitals and and, and other caregivers. We've got two different operations here in Wichita alone. Mm -hmm. Uh, We have no government entity that does this per se. But we've got two private companies that engage in this, uh, in service of two different medical institutions and private uh, private clients. Uh, a lot of what they do, a lot of this emergent or a lot of the medical airlift stuff, is more routine fixed wing stuff. Uh, but yeah, even true. then, occasionally there's a transfer. For example, if there's an accident in Western Kansas, a helicopter dispatches out of Dodge City they don't helicopter that victim necessarily all the way back to wichita they may put a king air in the middle of it because the king air can get here so much quicker Mm -hmm. depends on how critical things are Uh, but very often the environments where these helicopter flights operate uh... is far less than ideal it's in you know unusual places uh... and In a number of these instances, uh, the weather has been an element. Uh, This particular accident, the one that spurred all the recent attention, happened. It was a Maryland State Police helicopter doing an emergency medical lift after an auto accident. And the weather deteriorated, and he wasn't going to get into the medical pad. So he tried to go for the alternate, which was Andrews Air Force Base. Uh, And that was where he staged out of to begin with. Somewhere, trying to intercept the uh, ILS in Andrews, the guy stopped getting the radio. He stopped getting his radio beacon and radioed in to the effect that he couldn't, you know, he couldn't track to the airport because he wasn't getting the uh, the, the beacon. So uh, and then he and then he was down. And you know what caused that? What precipitated that? You know, we hope the investigators will be able to find out. Yeah. Uh, But there's no question that this kind of service is being... uh, The expansion in the medical industry has made it more in demand. It's being called on more regularly because it is, you know, time-wise for uh, the institutions that are equipped to land a helicopter and transfer them into the emergency room. Uh, It's far quicker. Than uh, sending an ambulance, particularly through long stretches of big rural distances, or sometimes not all that big distance through crowded urban areas. Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: we hope yeah, the, the washington dc area where, where as i'm sure many of our listeners know i uh, used to live um, i'm not specifically familiar with the with the maryland um, uh, highway patrol's operation but it's my understanding that they're flying ifr helicopters that the pilots are instrument uh, qualified yeah. i don't know if they uh, you know, if if that was the case in this in this flight or if oh, there this was this guy some-
2: the pilot was a cfii Okay. Helicopters.
1: Yeah, well, that's that, which is a pretty rare rating. Yeah, um, and uh, he, he certainly should have known what he was doing. The the area, and I presume this was south of Andrews, not north of Andrews. Do we know?
2: Uh, I believe it was. Uh, uh, well, they said it was east of the district in a Maryland State Park, just outside the district line.
1: Okay, that doesn't help.
2: No, it doesn't but, help me either. Yeah,
1: yeah, but but I mean, there's there's not a whole lot to run into in that stretch of the of the dc area um you're not west of the city in the mountains um there might be a few you know cell phone towers or something like that but you ought to be able to get down to um you know six or eight hundred feet without hitting a whole lot yeah and um um andrews in the past has had a pretty good um, set of approaches to get in and out of there, and pretty good radar service. I presume, you know, my my experience going in and out of that general area, even since uh, um, 2001, has been uh, they have you on radar. You know, eight eight six eight. Well, in these days they have you on radar at the surface. They have you on radar before you get out of the car um, um, in, in that area right now, but. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, so,
0: yeah, okay uh, Yeah
1: um, I don't know it, It's just one of those I, I hope they come up with a re- rational explanation for this one Because uh, it's it's relatively odd By no There's no reason for this one to have happened That we know of right now Yeah
0: Speaking of tracking your every step, um, let's see now. So, Dave, I think you posted this uh, item, and I'm not sure if I understand what I'm looking at. The headline is uh, ADSB comments pro 101 con 1,271.
1: It would seem to be a little lopsided, wouldn't it?
0: Yeah, it would. Yeah, and it, well, suggests it's, whoever, <laughs> it suggests that people are not happy with ADSB. Um, is that what I'm what,
2: – what's the story? Well, this is, this is in regards to the uh, – uh, and somebody posted a, uh, a note that the comment period has been reopened on the same topic. Uh, this is in regard to the
1: uh, uh, notice F- of proposed I'm
2: rulemaking not sure. that the FAA first published in uh, October of 2007. Performance requirements and equipment requirements for using ADS-B in uh, the specific classes of airspace under which we now need transponders uh the uh, comment period closed back in march and in the interim the FAA has an aviation rulemaking committee involved specifically in the ADS-B issue and about a week ago they issued a report as was their uh job and the report noted that one of the reasons why there wasn't a lot of support for the ADSB proposal, uh, Automatic Dependent Surveillance Broadcast, uh, that's the technology that will show them where you are, and if you've got the right equipment, show you where everybody else is. Uh, the lack of acceptance and excitement about this was because the FAA had failed to demonstrate any real value to the... Uh, customer that's us the people that own and fly the airplanes for adapting to this technology as Jeb rightly pointed out there wasn't really anything in there that couldn't be done with current technology the difference was if everybody adapted this you wouldn't need all this other separate technology this one would take care of everything Uh, getting you weather getting you traffic uh, providing position reports to the FAA it would take the place of the transponder uh, So, in light of that Aviation Rulemaking Committee report saying that, and the FAA itself acknowledging that the ratio of positive comments on the ADSB proposal was 101 supportive, 1,271 not supportive.
0: Right. So what happens now? That means they're going to walk away from it? Probably not.
2: No, no. The new comment period gives us all a chance to
0: make another put. Yeah, okay. And, <laughs> so, and that's put. Doesn't this fall into the category of doing the same thing again, expecting a different result? Well, yes and kind no. Of sort of.
2: In this case, there's the opportunity here to tell the FAA in no uncertain terms what they could propose that would excite us about buying the equipment. Uh-huh. or about how the FAA and the government could encourage us with equipment assistance, because they're going to save a boatload of money if everybody goes to this in their ability to pretty much retire in-route radars and uh, uh, a whole lot of hardware that they use now for traffic guidance, uh, tremendous savings in recurrent uh, upgrades, maintenance, and not having to build these anymore. Uh, that's all the stuff the FAA is going to get out of ADS-B. Uh, the proposal was for ADS-B out only. That means we'd all have to be able to blast all that information to the FAA. Uh, ADS-B in, where you get to see what everybody else is doing, was optional. Uh, and they didn't really say that they would deliver any real Goodies on top of the end signal like data link weather uh, and uh, METARs and TAFs, stuff that we got to pay for now to get through data link systems. If ADSB went through with the right sweeteners on it, it would pretty much put those other things out of business which is one of the reasons why i think they weren't in the original proposal so we do have an opportunity to tell the faa i would do this maybe if you guaranteed me that all this stuff that can be delivered by adsb would be delivered mm-hmm. yeah. i think and it's then similar. if you'd invest a little bit of what you're gonna save in the first five years
0: in helping me afford the transition i'd be even more likely I think there's a simple explanation for this lopsided comment count, and that is that Dave submitted his comment and Jeb submitted 12. uh... Hey, we've got to wrap this thing up. Shoutouts, what's going on out there?
1: I think the real reason, though, Jack, is we have many more listeners than the other side uh, has.
0: Uh, Okay. There you go. Yeah, that's what it is. Shoutouts, who's got something?
1: Um... Yeah, there's a couple here I put up. Before I do that, though, I have a shout-out to Lightspeed Aviation, the headset guys. Yeah? Um, I've got a couple of old um, 20XL headsets, probably date from, I don't know, 2002, 2003. Wow, antiques. Antiques—they're—they're they're active <laughs> noise reduction headsets. Uh, I've got a, a Bose X that I use personally, and I let the 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 Hoy Polloi and the back seats and the cheap seats uh, use the light speeds. But that's not the—that's not the, uh, the my point. number
0: one headset is the one that I bought in 1992. It's a David Clark headset. Yeah. it's very—it's no, nice. a
1: great hit. Head- nothing wrong with David Clark's either. But um, these headsets over the years. Um, have fallen on hard times. They've been stepped on, they've been overheated, they've kind of fallen apart Um, and um, separately and over a couple of three month, well four or five month period, um, I sent um, both of these headsets back to Lightspeed and um, just got the second one back this week. Um, I I don't know what to say. I mean, here's a product that I I bought, again, five, six, eight years ago. Um, The factory is still supporting it. Mm-hmm. they're still repairing it mm-hmm. and they're not charging a farthing really to do this that's pretty cool yeah, they, wow. I, I i send it to them at my expense they send it back to me at their <laughs> and it's fixed and it's got new parts and it's it's basically being remanufactured and um i, I don't i don't know I, that's just hard yeah. to find these days and and i own no stock in the company i have no you know interest other than getting a good headset every now and then and uh they uh they just keep on getting it and i that's just customer service that I I like, and I thought I'd say something. Another um, uh, quick uh, shout-out here, uh, the uh, Hagerstown Aviation Museum, Hagerstown, Maryland. Um, Hagerstown is the former location of uh, a Fairchild uh, aircraft company manufacturing plant.
2: Yeah, they used to make warthogs there.
1: They they used to make uh, uh, um, A-10 aardvarks, warthogs uh, at at that uh, facility. But even longer ago than the A-10, they used to make the old Fairchild C-119 flying boxcar. Oh, wow. Back from the 1950s, I believe. This was an old Air Force twin-engine cargo plane. If anybody has seen the movie, the original movie, Flight of the Phoenix, With Jimmy Stewart That was a C-119 flying boxcar The Hagerstown Aviation Museum Which is a growing uh, fledgling aviation museum Is trying to get a uh, flying boxcar A C-119 Uh, And they had a budget for one They found one They were getting it rebuilt This kind of thing Um, But uh, uh, it's run over budget and they are conducting what they call an emergency C-119 funding campaign request. They need uh, let me find the dollar amount here. They need about thirty-five more, thirty-five thousand more dollars to get this airplane uh, airworthy and fueled, so they can fly it uh, from Grey Bull, Wyoming. Back to Hagerstown Sometime during the month of October I'm going to throw a few bucks at them Uh I urge our Shame listeners to, to do this um, HagerstownAviationMuseum dot org is the website. We'll put a link in the show notes. Um, this is a worthy cause, folks, and and this is a great bunch of people up there at Hagerstown. I've had my airplane worked on and painted there, and um, um, this is this is uh, uh, the real deal. Um, and this is something that should be supported. Very cool. So yeah, yeah, it Excellent. is very cool. Yeah,
0: and uh, you've got another one here, Jeb.
1: Uh, I guess I do. Let me find that.
0: I'm doing it for him think, if he didn't want to. David, also uh, no, I, I, right. I thought this was David's posting. It seems like it's a Dave kind of posting here. But no, the, which one? The Fantasy of Flight? No, that's James.
1: Oh, no no, 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 no. that's mine. That's yeah, yeah, that. mine also. Oh, do it, yeah, do it, I, Jim. I I opened the wrong wrong web page here. Let me find this. Um yeah, this is the Roar and Soar, Fantasy of Flight two thousand eight. Let me turn this off.
0: It's Thank down you. in your that's right, it played it played in the it it has this is, video, uh, yeah.
1: Yeah, Polk City, Florida, November eight and nine, two thousand eight. Kermit Weeks uh, has a has a thing going there. This is they've got fast cars, fast boats, and fast airplanes and uh it should be should be a, a gas i don't know uh if i'm going to be able to make it over there for that but uh thought i'd just put try to put this on some people's calendar uh come early november uh, especially you all you snowbirds might want to get away from it all and uh, uh Folk City, florida might be a good place to try to end up cool.
0: david i'm good you're good um i wanted to call attention to <clears throat> excuse me um it, this podcast won't be in, out in time for people to uh, to uh, uh, visit uh, Biddeford maine for the young eagles event that's this weekend uh, but uh, I'm, I may stop by there and if I do I'll report back but next weekend and I promise uh, at the risk of a bunch of beers that, uh, <laughs> that this people a will whole be, bunch this, of beers. this people whole will bunch. be listening to this episode uh, prior to the uh, young eagles rally at uh, skyhaven airport in Rochester New Hampshire on uh, on uh, the 11th October 11th Uh, which is uh, a week from two days from now as as we speak. So uh, if you're up here in New England and want to help out for a really good cause, uh, either flying kids or helping on the ground, uh, you could contact uh, EAA Chapter 225 at Rochester, New Hampshire, Skyhaven Airport uh, for a Young Eagles rally on the 11th. So uh, anything else before we wrap this thing up? Stick a fork in it. Jeb Burnside uh, is, uh, of course, an aviation journalist, uh, currently serving as the editor-in-chief of Aviation Safety Magazine. You can learn more about Jeb and his work at jebburnside.com, also aviationsafetymagazine.com and avweb.com. Dave Higdon is an aviation photographer. He's a senior editor for Kitplanes Planes Magazine and the U.S. editor for London's World Aircraft Sales Magazine. Uh, learn more about Dave and his work at kitplanes.com and avbuyer.com slash worldaircraftsales. Uh, and uh, I am Jack Hodgson. I'm a private Pilot, a freelance writer, and a new media producer. You can learn more me, more about me at jackhodgson.com or aroundthefield.net. And as always, please visit us all at the uncontrolledairspace.com website. Uh, check out the wiki. Check out the uh, the blog. Uh, check out the forums. Uh, check out the excellent show notes that Jet has been put. I hope I'm pronouncing that right, but uh, uh, it sounds odd in my, my in my mind. But uh, but wh- however you say his name, he's been doing an awesome job uh, uh, organizing these show Absolutely, yeah. And, uh, yeah. and we appreciate that. Uh, so, uh, anyways, David, what were you going to say?
2: I was going to say, everybody go flying, because time spent flying is not subtracted from your lifespan, and if anybody's brave enough to be in the airspace between Wichita and Orlando on Sunday, wave as we go by. <laughs>
0: well, anyways, that's enough talking. We have
1: notified the NTSB.
0: <laughs> that's enough talking. Let's all go flying now. Bye-bye.
1: TTFN